This episode of the Fellowship Podcast by CMF International is the second installment of my conversation with Joel Williams on disciple-making movements. Joel and I focus in on the practical steps of starting and facilitating a Discovery Bible study. You will come away with the basic tools and know-how to go out and start your very own DBS. I'm your host, Jake Moore. Welcome to the Fellowship. Hearing his story, too, brings up a question that I wanted to ask you about, and that was about discovery Bible studies and people that are pre-literate and uh, and literacy and the ways that you have seen that play out among the Turkana and some of these other people groups. Um, I think the the one thing I'd like to do first, because I know we have a number of missionaries that are, are going to be listening to this episode would just be to unpack again, what does a discovery Bible study session look like? Um, mm-hmm. And so for you going into a new location or as you started, what did it look like? What are the questions that you guys walk through um, would probably be a great place to start. And then I'd love to talk through when you have a literate group and then when you have a pre-literate group, what, what is that, you know, what does that look like for oral learners and those who mm-hmm. uh, are able to read the text? So let's start yeah, with that's a great D- question. Yeah, DBS, Discovery Bible Studies. What's what's it look like or what does it look like for you when you start in a new place first? Yeah, so for for me it's always it starts with a person of peace, which mm-hmm. is you're going to find that across almost all um <clears throat> different DMM or um disciple making movement type uh curriculum or you know in that genre, you're going to find the person of peace, right? So yeah. um, starts out with a person of peace, um, <clears throat> which is who then generally some sometimes that ends up being the person you disciple, and other times it doesn't. Um, sometimes the group that they're facilitating is the one that ends up kind of bringing bringing that person okay out. Yeah, but if if that makes sense, and yeah. Uh, it's also very spirit led. So uh, spirit led and, and, and prayer driven, right? So you're, mm-hmm. you're praying over regions. Generally speaking, you're going to pray over a region for uh, like three months before okay. you ever go into it. And then when you do go into it, you're going to start out just doing prayer walks, um, offering to pray for people um, and uh, kind of these different starter activities that um, get your foot in the door, so to speak, in, in a community and introduce you to people and gives you the opportunity to run into those people that got us already pre-set apart, right? <clears throat> yeah. So, so, wait, so I was just going to say, so those starter activities, you said it would be, you know, you're praying specifically for a region or a specific village or a region mm-hmm. of a town. And then you would do prayer walks in that area, seeking out uh, through prayer, you know, who's the Holy Spirit leading on your path to be that person of peace where you could maybe have a gathering or they could be Mm. a key point of gathering. Are there any other starter activities that you guys use or those your two main ones that you use? No. So there, there's a few different ones, Um, you know, with, 
with Che as well. Um, we, we integrate the two, uh, as I okay. already said, my, my wife, um, <clears throat> is, uh, part of, uh, the KCAT teams, Che ministry. And so we, we integrate them and part of when you're discipling someone, right. And they're responding in obedience to scripture. Um, the, the fruit of that is that when they're doing these prayer walks and things, if they're seeing needs or seeing sick people or seeing, you know, um, uh, people who are left out in communities, they're mm-hmm. also meeting those needs. They're um, praying over those people, yeah. which also ends up opening doors as well. Uh, <clears throat> so there, there's actually one of my guys who was driving through a community and he was recognized as a pastor and they stopped him uh, because their son had been bitten by a snake and they asked him to come pray for, uh, and it was a poisonous wow. snake, the Turkana, yeah. they know their snakes, right? Oh, they know sure. Which ones are poisonous yeah. and which ones aren't. <laughs> um, and they they said he'd been bitten by a poisonous snake and he was dying. Mm-hmm. And, um, and they asked him to pray that he would be healed. And we had actually just studied this, uh, this story <clears throat> of uh of the woman who came to jesus to ask for healing for um her son and he said uh you don't need me to come go your faith has already healed them right and so yeah yeah um and so he responded the same way he goes no (laughs) your faith has already healed him if you go back your son will be healed of this snake bite um and she goes she she he was on his way somewhere uh he wasn't trying to brush her off but yeah um but she said, no, I really want you to come. And so he, he, he went and this, the son was still laying down at the time and looked sickly uh, is the testimony he gives. And he said, he prayed over him and then he left to continue on <clears throat> to his meeting. And on his way back, he came and the son was up and walking around as if wow. nothing had ever happened. That's, so, so, that's um, amazing to, to see the connection of the, the biblical story with life they're intercom. Right. And that's so that's amazing. exactly what we're seeing, right? We yeah. see these uh, scriptures we're looking at in a DBS, and then we see them responding in obedience, sometimes mm-hmm. in a more literal way than we would apply in uh, yeah. a American mindset. But in that, uh, with that family, um, mm-hmm. there's now a new church in that area um, that started out of DBSs that started with that family, the, Man, uh, the son that so cool. healed, and that became a person of peace that has now reached multiple families for Christ. So that's really, that's amazing. an example of how we end up coming kind of in into the starter families. piece. Okay. That's great. That, that really helps. I mean, amazing story for sure, but helps, yeah. helps give us, give us some idea of the, the starter piece, uh, obviously prayer driven and then finding those people that come along your path, maybe having been bitten by a snake uh, or a bishop uh, that yeah. decides he wants to change up his ministry altogether. So you got that going Okay, then let's navigate to the actual gathering. Um, who starts the gathering? Uh, is it by word of mouth? Uh, is it a big announcement in the community? How, how does that play out? Yeah, so so usually through that relationship, um, you then start uh, having spiritual conversations with them. There, there are different ways to start it out, right? Um, a lot of different ways. Some you kind of have to use discernment. Mm -hmm. Um, what the path is. There's also areas where we work um, uh, with Muslims as well. And so 
the, the methods you use there are going to be different than here. The approach is a little bit different. Um, but ultimately, it comes through genuine relationship. Uh, yeah. That's what we, we kind of teach. It comes through general, uh, genuine relationship and caring for a person, uh, seeing them as God's child who, who he has compassion on. Mm-hmm. And then um, from those, we look for what we call the hungry fish. And usually those are the ones who are full of questions and hmm. who uh, are having spiritual conversations and they want your prayer and they want uh, and they keep coming back to you. Um, we use that term hungry fish because Jesus, mm-hmm. right. He taught us to be fishers of men. Yeah. And so um, sometimes you go into a, a community and there's no hungry fish at that time. If you're mm-hmm. fishing, right. You only mm-hmm. leave your, you only leave your bait in one spot for so long mm-hmm. uh, without any bites before you pull it out and you cast somewhere right. else. Mm-hmm. And so, um, <clears throat> So then from that hungry fish, then you ask them if you could start doing, uh, you know, start meeting more regularly. Uh, and if you'd be welcome to, to have these conversations in the home. And so then mm-hmm. uh, generally speaking, that first group ends up being the family of your person of peace, whoever okay. that ends up being. Mm-hmm. And so um, a, lo- a lot of times for me and my circumstances, uh, I'll work one-on-one with them and have their first group be their families. And, um, and I just, uh, kind of coach them, mentor them. Mm-hmm. When they come back, they tell me testimony. They talk about how the group's doing and all those things. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of how the, that's the cool starts. It's that usually one, one example. Yeah. Um, but but I was just going to say, so usually that person of peace, family connection, family and friends in the surrounding area near their home. Uh, yeah. One of, of the big like... values of uh, DMM is what we call organic groups. So mm-hmm. the churches, okay. we know it, the institutional church more times than not is what we call extraction ministry, right? Mm-hmm. We take people out of their communities and we call them into one place. Um, whereas D- DMM really one of the foundations or one of the, um, priorities is what we call organic groups, which is the idea of uh, the people we're working with reaching their own people. And so the the first groups of our uh, disciples are always, uh, we always say where you live, work and play, right? So um, your family, your friends, and your, you know, coworkers or your colleagues is kind of the most mm. natural three groups you have. And yeah. So that's usually the, the first. Uh, Where you live, Bible work, study. and play. Okay. Okay. That's great. So then you've got people gathering. What does a session look like? Uh, what, are, what are we talking about? It, generally time frame. What? How much time do you usually give? And then what does the actual time together look like? So that completely depends on the area. So we have groups. We actually have groups um, <clears throat> that I uh, I kind of coach and, and um, talk to people that I work with back in the U.S. We have people mm-hmm. um, really? in multiple countries yeah. now in this area, in East Africa, in Ethiopia, Uganda, and Tanzania. Um and so it's kind of different depending on sure. where you are. It's different from Nairobi to Turkana, right? Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so one of the things I would say is 
um, Intercon, it's not an uncommon for a group to be like three hours long. Uh, okay. A typical, <laughs> typical um, <laughs> West Africa sort yeah. of thing. But yeah. in, in Nairobi um, and Western, some of the areas that have are a little bit more time sensitive, Mm-hmm. We do more like anywhere from an hour and a half to two hours, something like that. Okay. Um, and then in, in the U S generally speaking, you're not going to see them go over an hour. <laughs> They're um, going to go five minutes. You know, it's going to be 144 words. It's going to be the, the Twitter feed long. No. Uh, yeah. So yeah, you're not going three hours. Uh, you're not having a three hour commitment of people sitting on stools under a tree like you would. Uh, in Turkana land. So you can see yeah, the incremental differences uh, in time where people have a little bit more time to work with in Turkana, less so in Nairobi, which is heavily influenced by uh, the West, by Europe and the United States. And then all the way over here in the States, it's not going to go beyond 45 minutes to an hour. That, that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. 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 So then what's the time look like then? Yeah. So the first thing we do every week is we celebrate what we, there's a portion we call celebrate, which is ultimately giving thanks to God for the things he's done. Um, giving, uh, glory to God for who he is. Um, but then also more specifically, it's, it's also praising him for the things that he's done in that week. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, as they've responded in obedience to the scripture from the week before, and as they've shared, um, in this portion, they're kind of giving a testimony testimonies of this is what God's done. Like, uh, yeah, this is the fruit of, of God this week. Um, and so that's the, the first, the first thing we do. Okay. Um, I, I say that it's a prayer of Thanksgiving. It's a prayer mm-hmm. of praise and it's a celebratory prayer. Um, <clears throat> But I don't use the word uh, prayer even amongst U.S. people because people in the U.S., when you say pray, they close their eyes, bow their head and fold their hands. And, Mm -hmm. you know, um, so they think of something very specific, whereas Mm -hmm. um, this is a little bit more of like a living prayer, Mm -hmm. uh, if that makes sense. Yeah. So it's going to be open communication, open dialogue, sharing about all these positive things that have been going on throughout the week, as opposed Mm to one person in front of 10 people, everybody bow your heads, close your eyes, and I'm going to pray over these things for us as a group. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, it's more, that, again, going back to that more organic sharing piece uh, to it. Mm-hmm. How does that play out too with, with say, some more uh, non-Christian groups, like groups that are traditional African believers, uh, maybe that have a sense of like spirits but don't know – maybe the great spirit above uh, or a, maybe a different concept of God. How have you seen that play out? Uh, is it just continuing to think about the positive things that have happened mm-hmm. in the week, but not necessarily directly attributing it to God? Or do you guys encourage the facilitator to always bring it back to God, even if those within the group don't necessarily do it? Does that, does that make sense where I'm drawing the line? Yeah. Um, it, I think as you can kind of imagine as a, as a group is on that journey together, um, mm. that, uh, evolves through time, right? Yeah. Um, their understanding, uh, of seeing, <clears throat> okay, I'm living in obedience to what this, this word says, which they don't necessarily know that it's, or recognize it as the word of God at that point. Yeah. Um, but as they begin to attribute, right, the, the good things that are happening in their life, 
um, directly to their obedience to the word of God. Um, mm-hmm. And then and some of the first scriptures we would cover are ones that uh, we have a list <clears throat> in DMM circles. There's many different scripture lists. You can yeah. Google uh, DMM scripture lists and find mm-hmm. um, dozens and dozens. But one of them, one, one of those common lists is ones on the attributes and character of God that kind mm-hmm. of um, tells us who God is and, and tells us about God and, and what he does. And, yeah and how he feels about us, all those things. So um, that's one of the first lists you would do. And so as they are okay. discovering who God is, um, they're also kind of tangibly um, giving credit to yes. his word for okay. uh, the things that are happening in their life. As yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I could just see it being a challenge for someone who maybe doesn't have a, a concept for for God or has grown up atheist in a secular home uh in europe or the united states to where that would be a, t- a challenge or even uh in a buddhist context or with traditional african uh, religious practitioners a lot of times they recognize local spirits but not a spirit above so that that really helps uh, unpack that idea uh, a lot yeah michael michael Aloy was a great example of that right mm-hmm. um, non-christian uh um uh, traditional, you know, follows more the followed more the traditional African um, sort of religion, um, and and yet his slow obedience to the word and recognizing that what he was doing was following Jesus mm-hmm. eventually led him to understand that uh, you know yeah. I want to follow Jesus and yeah. you know I want to so. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so following that celebration, Thanksgiving time, then what's the next phase of your time together? Yeah. So the next thing we'll do is we'll introduce uh, a scripture Mm -hmm. and we'll read it multiple times. Or uh, if it is in a um, uh, illiterate or oral culture, uh, then they're just going to recite it. They're going to recite it multiple times so that uh, the entire group is hearing it multiple times, whether that's with literate or oral societies. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, if it's literate, they use scripture, they'll read it, and they'll all have their Bibles. If it's an oral society, they're just saying it from memory. Mm-hmm. And do, do you have the, the men and women that you are coaching for these groups mm-hmm. memorize those stories from scripture together with you and then you send them out like from a story list uh, what where's the implementation point uh, with that like do you teach them the story then they go on to teach it uh or are they reading the story and asking everyone that's listening as oral learners or oral learners to hear the story and take it in does that make sense like are, are they yeah, are so they yeah if i'm working if i'm working with someone um who is uh primarily an oral learner mm-hmm. uh, and they are primarily reaching oral learners, uh, then <clears throat> the DBS that we do together in our own time is also practiced using oral methodology. We don't okay. use, I don't demonstrate a literate version for them. And yeah. so what we do with that is <clears throat> I'll recite it multiple times. And then me and whoever's in the group, Oftentimes our groups are three to five people, something like that. Yeah. Uh, okay. Six is okay too. Once you yeah. get above six, it's 
it's a lot of people for everyone to participate. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but, um, but so then we're all going to take turns going around reciting the scripture um, word for word. And so, and one of the things that's built into the, the, the structure is this accountability to the text. So we're all asking each other as we're saying it, we're asking a couple different questions. We're going to mm-hmm. ask, um, are we leaving anything imperative out or have we added anything? Um, okay. And then if we ever, uh, anyone in the group ever hears someone say uh, something that is not from the text mm-hmm. um, or uh, from, yeah, from the verse, then yeah. you're going to ask, you're going to simply ask, where do you see that? Or where, where did you hear that in the scripture? Mm-hmm. And if they can kind of say, oh, well, it said this, um, mm-hmm. then you say, oh, okay, perfect. Um, yeah. And if they can't, then we say, oh, then we can't say it says that because it doesn't say that. And so sure. we use those two accountability questions as we go through every question we ask with our DBSs. So okay. the first thing they're going to do is we're all, everyone in the group's going to recite the scripture word for word. Um, in a, in an oral group. And then Mm -hmm. the the next thing we're going to do is we're going to retell the story, but in our own words. So now you, you get a little bit more of the storying aspect. Okay. Instead of saying it word for word, now they're going to retell it in their own words. Yeah. um, But we're still going to ask them the same questions. You know, did Mm -hmm. we leave anything out? Did you add anything? Um, or, or where did you hear that? And so oftentimes as a facilitator, I'll say things, especially in the beginning, I'll say things wrong on purpose to make Mm -hmm. sure that they're going to, they're going to challenge me. They're going to ask me, right? Uh, Also, because I want to establish uh, a relationship in which we're learning from each other, not Mm -hmm. where they see me as the teacher. Sure. Um, And so, and I teach my, I teach my guys to do the same thing. That's Uh, cool. I like that. It's a fun little teaching teaching module teaching trick uh that's cool so then uh basically if you're tracking with that that ultimately means uh, if you have five people in a group Mm -hmm. and each of them have recited it um you've heard it if you recited it twice before they said it word for word themselves um Everyone's heard it word for word seven times yeah. uh, and also have been conversing over it mm-hmm. um, and and cementing, you know, the details out. And then they retell it in their own words, seven, you know, five more times. Yeah. So by the end of the group, um, you know, they and honestly, people from oral cultures have much better memories than we do because. Yeah traditionally they haven't had paper that they always write things down on. They don't have cell phones to mm-hmm. look things up. Right. Mm-hmm. So you tell, you tell a, a person in an oral culture, a number and they have it like that. Yeah. Right? So. Oh, that's cool. And so then after you guys do the reciting and the retelling, um, you work through some questions, right. That kind of mm-hmm. facilitates the conversation piece on what's going on with the text. What are those four? Is it four questions that you usually do, or do you do different ones? No, four questions. It's the, it's usually the same in all of them. Um, Mm -hmm. The four main questions are, what does this say about God, Jesus, or the Holy spirit? Um, What does this say about people or about me? Mm -hmm. Um, The third question is how can I live this out or or, obey this scripture? And Mm -hmm. the main thing about the last two questions, specifically the obey piece and the share piece is 
um, they should be specific. We coach our people for them to be specific. Um, okay. So uh, if you're using the smart goals sort of yeah. uh, mentality, yeah. right, they should be specific and measurable okay. um, for when they come back the next week. Did they do it or did they not? And if they didn't, why didn't they do it? Mm-hmm. Um, right. And so like, we're not just reading scripture where it says to feed the hungry. And then they say, Oh, I'm going to feed a hungry person. They're going to mm-hmm. say, Oh no, I'm going to invite, um, uh, you know, and name someone who they right. all know in their community that's hungry mm-hmm. in for dinner, you know? Yeah. Yeah. However so... many nights this week. So specific, uh, something specific that they can do, um, for how can I obey or how can and or live this out? Mm-hmm. And then the the last one is with whom will I share this with this week? Okay. And so generally speaking, that is a specific name or a specific group. Um, wow. And from this is where we see uh, usually you start seeing multiplication or, or replication even in the first few weeks because they should be <clears throat> sharing. Yeah. And ultimately kind of doing what you're doing together, but doing mm-hmm. it um, with their people. Yeah. Too. Because of the specificity, the because of the specificity and then that accountability piece of the original disciple making movement or discovery Bible study group that they're in, I can see where that then becomes quickly the motivating factor for them to multiply because people are asking them, hey, did you do what you said you're going to do? And did you tell that person what you're going to tell them? Uh, I can see how that starts moving really fast. Uh, that, that's pretty amazing to hear. Yeah, we call that we call that DNA, right? So yeah. in our groups, we try to, <clears throat> we're, we're trying to establish a very specific DNA. Um, mm-hmm. And that's what we're replicating. Um, yeah, is what we ultimately what I believe is the DNA of the church, right? Yeah, use that language. Um, every living organism, you know, there uh, has unique DNA. And if, mm-hmm. if uh, the church is a living organism designed by God, then it has specific DNA too, right? So absolutely. Yeah. So you're just living out that DNA. I love that. When it comes to then uh, the the story lists or scripture lists, you you touched on this already talking about the attributes of God. Is that generally your first go to, no matter where you're at, especially with you mentioned the six groups that you're you're doing uh, disciple making movement work with, uh, or do you have some go to uh, stories or scripture lists uh, that you have used in, in each of those locations? Yeah, so I have a few that I generally start with with my my own guys, and that mm-hmm. I give to them as they're um, facilitating their groups um, as they're getting going as well. But um, so a few of them are ones like the characteristics of God, ones mm-hmm. like uh, one that's called uh, Kingdom or Creation to Kingdom, which mm-hmm. is or Creation to Christ. I think Joe talked about it which yeah. basically tells the overarching narrative of, of scripture. Yeah. There's another one that I like uh, to use, excuse me, uh, yeah. called the seven stories of hope, which are hmm. um, stories that focus on uh, encounters with Jesus, basically. Yeah. Um, but one of the biggest differences <clears throat> with what, uh, how I coach my guys and with what I do is 
I really push what's called a learner-led method, um, mm-hmm. which is uh, kind of a uh, it's it's harder as a facilitator and okay. as a disciple maker. It's harder because um, you you have to be more diligent about keeping track of what they've covered and what they haven't. Um, <clears throat> but I, I firmly believe we learn best um, when we're when we're learning the things that we're interested in. Right. So mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> you, you think about the things you can talk most passionately about and in most depth, it's the things you're most interested in. Right. So same thing when it comes to someone who's being discipled, you look at the examples of the disciples with Jesus, their questions and, mm-hmm. and how their questions kind of guided um, where, where he went with certain things. Right. Yeah. And so, that's how I kind of uh, I kind of encourage my guys is that uh, is to base it on the things that their people are struggling with, the things that their people are, um, you know, the questions their people are asking, what they're most interested in, mm-hmm. uh, and <clears throat> to ultimately do their own research, find a you know develop a scripture list for the, those topics, and yeah, uh, basically go go where. Um, the disciples questions are leading them mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, and so it's learner based for the the facilitator but then also learner based uh really on where that group is at as well and tackling the issues that they're that they're wrestling with cuz that's going to be where there is going to have the greatest impact uh, based off of that mm-hmm. model. Uh, I think that's great. Uh, that's really yeah, a powerful model to think through. Well, as we come towards the end of this time together, Joel, I feel like we could talk for hours and hours about uh, disciple-making movements, and I have more and more questions. Um, but as we come to the end of the time, I, I want to touch on two things. Uh, the first would be just as the Kenya field team has been still trying to do uh, community development projects like water well drilling, uh, the community garden, solar-powered pumps, uh, clinics, your wife doing community health evangelism, Che. How have you seen that piece that is necessary, is the gospel in action, play out with disciple-making movements and discovery Bible studies? Have, have they worked together have, or have you found that they work against each other and resistant at times? How, how has that worked for you guys as a team? That's a great question. Yeah. Uh, I can say that we're still kind of in a transition stage with that. Mm-hmm. Um, there's definitely, uh, you know, it's a, it's a process and, uh, and needs to, you know, functionally, right. Mm-hmm. Be a slow process in order yeah. for it to be organic and to be, um, to be owned by the people that that transition kind of has to be, Kind of has to be slow, but um, but ultimately we we believe that it it fits perfectly. I mean, my wife again; she's part of our our Che initiative with the KCAT mm-hmm. team, mm-hmm. and um, you know, you for people who know the structures of Che and those things, you can mm-hmm. already begin to imagine how um, organic replicate uh, replicating groups could mm-hmm. be uh, could already be great starting places yeah. for committees for Che for um, for that community development to give birth out of. And so that's what mm-hmm. we're kind of doing already. We've cool. seen multiple 
multiple instances where that has happened. We've also, um, Eric Pitts, my teammate, has done a lot of training within the farms with our, our, our farm representatives, as well as the uh, beneficiaries in the farm, the farmers of the farms, mm-hmm. um, teaching them uh, wow. DBSs uh, or the D- DMM uh, method and allowing yeah. them to use DBSs and discipleship within the farms. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's all, it's all overlapped, you know, when a, when a person or community is transformed by Mm -hmm. Jesus, you know, he transforms the whole thing from the inside out. Right. Absolutely. um, Well, that's cool to hear. We also, one of the big things we do in that realm is we have also, in order to try to help our disciple makers ministries be sustainable because we as of right now um like the our our funds sustain them in very small ways it's mostly Mm -hmm. helping with transport or helping um helping pay for trainings uh parts of trainings generally speaking there's community buy-in um but so part of part of seeing that become self-sustainable these guys who are basically missionaries to their own people mm-hmm. um, and are leaving their, as I, as I explained before, some, some of them are leaving their jobs in order to do this. Yeah. Right? Well-paying so we jobs. Several, <laughs> yeah. Great jobs. Right. Yeah. Um, where they're traveling internationally, right. Wow. Doing trainings and stuff. And they're, they're leaving these amazing jobs um, in order to, basically follow Jesus mm-hmm. example. So uh, one of the things we've done is we've helped several of our disciple makers, some of the guys who are higher capacity start businesses, uh, did some okay. micro business stuff, um, different, different ones based on the needs of their areas and mm-hmm. ultimately their own passions. And so we've launched about five micro businesses with cool. our, our guys that um, the business plans as they are should eventually both support their families and support their ministries. For wow. Generations Man, that's, to come. That's cool. That's neat to see the two linked together as opposed to being like diametrically opposed to one another. Um, Cause I know some folks listening into this would probably be thinking about that. Like, I don't know how I could implement that into my ministry. We're so mm-hmm. community development focused that this is, this would run counter to it, but it's cool to hear that. No, this really feeds, they feed off of each other and uh, really are positive. Yeah. I'd be more concerned if, yeah, I'd be more concerned, frankly, if these groups weren't transforming their communities, right. If yeah. They weren't doing, mm-hmm. um, those things. Cause that's one of, one of those pieces of the DNA. If they're not obeying scripture, yeah. uh, then there's some, something missing. <laughs> that's right. Then they're not really doing a disciple making movement uh, practice. Well, so my last question for you of the two that I was going to ask you was thinking about discovery Bible studies and or disciple making groups that you have been involved with. What have been some of the things that you have learned? Is there a story or one thing that you have been surprised by uh, in in your time with a disciple making uh, movement group or discovery Bible study group? that uh you that has carried you through over the last couple of years and maybe fueled this continued passion for seeing this not just 
be a part of your ministry among the Turkana, but with other people groups uh, around uh, Kenya. Is there is there something that you've you've learned uh, in in that time or been surprised by that came from the the mouth of someone like a Michael uh, that wasn't a, a follower of Jesus beforehand? I think there's probably two things. The the mm-hmm. biggest thing I've learned probably is um, is how much God can do if we'll get out of his way. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, As someone who went to Bible college, right. And really valued what I learned there and am still going to Bible college and Mm -hmm. and still learning. Um, But, you know, became a pastor and lived in the the Western mindset of pastorship where there's so much uh, authority given to us as interpreters of scripture. Yeah. Um, and ultimately what we're doing, right, is giving people <clears throat> uh, the basic tools to be able to understand mm-hmm. scripture and obey it uh, in their everyday lives. Um, and so so I'm kind of seeing that dynamic of, yeah. right, the, t- allowing the Holy Spirit to be the teacher, um, mm-hmm. not making structures that are dependent on um, us as yeah. pastors or on us as teachers, um, and being super humbled by when I do get out of the way, yeah. um, what God is, is capable of doing. Um, mm-hmm. because there's no way I could have started 2,500 small groups, right. Uh, oh, that's amazing. Kenya mm-hmm. or 4,000 groups plus that they've seen start up in, in Turkana over the last three years. Um, yeah. And like 60 some odd churches that they've, they've planted or something like that. Um, yeah. and so, you know, when we get out of the way. And so that's one thing I would say is uh, looking at Christ's example, right? He doesn't, he doesn't choose the best and learned people, right? He chooses everyday people. He didn't Mm -hmm. choose the teachers of the law. Mm -hmm. Um, And he didn't wait for them to be fully trained before he sent them out ahead of him, Mm -hmm. right? And all Mm -hmm. the places they were going to go to share the gospel. So, um, so I say that's one of the things I learned. And then the other thing yeah. is probably about vision um, mm-hmm. from lear- learning from and watching the Kenyans and their, their vision for that they've been given by God for reaching the, their people yeah. um, and learning because uh, their visions, their, their visions are so much bigger than ours. Uh, yeah. And so, so awesome. I kind of learned, um, that that a lot of times in our own traditional churches our visions aren't big enough right Mm. um i've heard it said once if someone's not if people aren't laughing at your vision then it's probably not from god Hmm. um and that's pretty that's pretty profound that our our vision should be god-sized if we're right if they're coming from god that they should be god-sized so when i have one of my guys who says in five years, we want to reach all of Turkana, which is like 2 million people, um, mm-hmm. counting the people in the refugee camps, um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> to, to a American church who's maybe baptizing like uh, 10 a year if it's a small church, you know, mm-hmm. 100 a year if it's a larger church, mm-hmm. um, to hear someone say, in five years, we want to reach 2 million people. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not baptize 2 million people, but reach 2 million people yeah. with the gospel. Um, it's humbling. 
So those, those are probably the two things I've learned. <laughs> yeah, that's and I think someone named Saint Paul talked about the uh, foolishness of the cross. Uh, you know, that it can look foolish to those outside of uh, the church, outside of those who are following Jesus at times. So our big visions, our big dreams uh, for Jesus might look foolish at times, but it's just what God needs uh, to make an impact on two million people uh, that desperately need to know Him. Joel, I am so grateful for this time that you gave away an entire evening uh, to spend with me and everybody that's listening in on this episode of the Fellowship Podcast. And we're so grateful for you and Rachel and your kids and your faithfulness to what Jesus is doing uh, in and through you uh, with the Turkana and throughout Kenya as a whole, man. So we're grateful for you and uh, for this time. Thank you, sir. Man, I hope you were as encouraged and challenged by this conversation with Joel as I was. Not only do I love the fact that he handed us the practical steps to go out and start our own DBS, he also laid out a challenge that I have been chewing on now for weeks. Do I have a God-sized vision for my life and my ministry? Our problem in the church is too often not a lack of vision, but rather a vision that is just too small. Like Joel said, Jesus has built it into the DNA of his church to partner up with him to do more, to do God-sized work. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Fellowship. Now, get out there and start your own Discovery Bible study.